Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church. And welcome to Henry is the key. Is the key. And, you know, and how that ties into your finances. 
because, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, no romance, no finance, no romance, and things of that nature. Um, right. You know, in the second segment, we're going to cover uh, success as it deals with raising children, you know. So before I even go into it, uh, your part, you want to go into um, explaining a little bit about the topic before I play the first clip? Um, you know, I guess just observing um, various instances where you may have a star athlete or entertainer or a politician or, or somebody that they, you know, people say, well, they, they're very successful. It might even be somebody in their family, and they say they're very successful. And typically what they point to are things where someone have uh, worldly material traffics, whether it has to have be something that's tangible, like uh, the big fine house of cars, or whether it's something intangible, like power in regard to politicians, you know, the governors, presidents, and so forth. And when these mm-hmm. people achieve these type goals, folks deem them to be successful. And, you know, but of course, you know, through studying the scriptures, you know, there's something else that uh, you've got to factor in. It's absolutely essential. And uh, mm-hmm. that, that's what kind of brought me to uh, the point of uh, writing an article. All right. Um, Ayan, do you have any uh, words that you want to weigh in before I play the first clip? Because uh, hey, this one was doozy. No, brother. It's okay. All right. So now I'm going to play our first clip. Now, this first clip is actually uh, an excerpt. Uh, from a news article that aired on uh, ABC News in May of 2009 dealing with uh, establishmen.com. And uh, establishmen.com, and I'll read here what their, uh, basically what their premise is here from the website. It says, Establishmen is the premier online dating service that connects young, beautiful women with rich, successful men. So I got a clip that I got, you know, I took from the uh, excerpt. It's not played in its entirety. but I just want you guys to listen to this and listen to weigh in on it. And mind you, we're dealing with this as, you know, primarily just the, the perception that people have of success as it relates to relationships and money. So check this out. Like lovers around the world, Kyle and Melissa spend a lazy Saturday browsing the shops, albeit on exclusive Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Ooh, it's a diamond. Fortunately, Melissa knows that her unambiguous taste for luxury is matched by Kyle's generosity. This is only their third date, and he spent almost $10,000. But it's not unexpected. How's my hair? Beautiful. It's a crucial step in their courtship. Thank you. Kyle met Melissa on a dating website called Established Men, a plain-speaking place where men of means are matched with stunning, young, and oftentimes penniless women. Melissa, 26, is an out-of-work actress. It's been tricky to pursue my passion because it can be feast or famine, and in those times when the work is slow, you know, you have to get another job, and then that can cause you to miss auditions or do different things. And so it is nice to be able to have a partner that understands where you're going and helps support that. Kyle, aged 42, is a divorced television producer who makes around half a million dollars a year. I was very skeptical about going on establishment.com. Honestly, I was. 
Why? Because I didn't want to feel like I was going to find a girl that just wanted my money and nothing else. Does it worry you, Kyle, that if you were not as wealthy as you are, she might not find you as attractive as she does? Hmm. Yeah, you know, I've always thought about that. It's always bothered me. And, yeah, it does. It certainly does. But, on the other hand, what if I was her and I wasn't as beautiful as she was? Would a guy like me be interested in her? You tell me. Well, probably, I don't know. Probably it, not. Probably not. All righty. So, you brothers heard that... Uh... <laughs> That clip, you have an, an older gentleman, more established and very successful in terms of uh, his finances, pulling in, a, what do you say, half a million a year. So he's able to drop $10,000, you know, shopping sprees, take this young lady out here and there or whatever. And, you know, they met on a site that basically is just geared for dating rich and successful men. So he's got the money, she's got the looks, you know. So some people would classify this as being successful. Um Yes, I am going to toss it to you first. Is this a successful relationship, or is this just prostitution? <laughs> you know, uh, one of the uh, first things they mentioned is that these two individuals were on their third date. Mm -hmm. Right. So, in other words, they're still practical strangers. Now, let's let's look a little bit at the type of relationship that they have on a third date. This is a stranger now. He's spending $10,000 on a stranger, $10,000. Now, the question is, who in the world, in their right mind, would spend $10,000 on a stranger just to go out on Rodeo Drive and buy clothes and bags and shoes and that kind of thing? Who's going to do that? I'm telling you who's going to do that. The person's going to do that, and some circles are known as a john. In the scriptures, is known as a whoremonger. Mm. Yes, it's prostitute. Wow. Uh, I mean, he, he makes half a million a year. You're sorry. I mean, what? What? Ten thousand? I mean, ten grand to him is like ten dollars to the average person. You know, like, hey, you want this? You want some diamonds? Hey, I get this for you. You want this? Hey, I'll buy it for you. You want some five thousand? You know, two thousand dollars shoes? Hey, why not? But give me some booty. <laughs> you know, what I mean, that's too much. Um, you know. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with someone desiring a wife who's very, very attractive. There's nothing wrong with that, all right? Mm -hmm. But but the thing is, you know, um, you can't just go out and pick someone solely on the basis, uh, basis of them being uh, physically appealing. You know, mm -hmm. there's a whole lot more that goes into that. I know we're going to get into that here pretty soon, but that's, that, that was his whole thing. He wanted to uh, find someone who was physically appealing, her whole thing was finding someone who had the financial trappings of success. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, you look at it, you know, just in general, women traditionally have, have been more or less weird to look for a man that's financially stable, you know, is one of the premier factors. Um, you know, good job, comes from a good family, overall decent person. You know, the, the, the scriptures really go into, you know, saying, hey, these are the characteristics or these are the qualifications that you're supposed to have, you know, just in general speaking of men and women in general. Because I know that it speaks about, you know, in uh, 
in the book of Hebrews going into, you know, how marriage is honorable and all. You know, Hebrews 13, chapter in the first verse, and he says, in the bed and the child, but four mothers and adulterers God will judge. So we understand, you know, from the scriptures as far as what we're supposed to be looking at. But I want to I want to look into this a little bit more because one of the things that he uh, spoke of, he said that um, Jim says, you know, I kind of worry about putting one of me for my money. You know, and, and the, the female the young lady, she expressed, you know, well, the question was posed to them, do you think that you'd even be remotely interested in her? Uh, and she wasn't as beautiful as she was. At first he was reluctant to say the truth, <laughs> but the interview, her, the interview, uh, the interview basically said, uh, yes, no, and the dude came out and said, uh, probably not, no. <laughs> so what kind of things, uh, does the scripture offer, offer some type of protection from these things that people are trying to, you know, use it for, you know, because we're attracted to the whole, well, this dude, he has good hair, so I know if I have a baby by him, you know, my baby's going to have good hair. Or, you know, I'm glorified the Lord has blessed me and I'm financially well off. I don't want to get with the, I don't want a woman to get with me just solely for my money. Are there ways that we can protect ourselves from basically those type of people looking for a come up, in a sense? Either one of them, Ayan or Josiah. I mean, there's a certain uh, characteristic I, I, that we're I, I, you, you, I have to say right off the bat, yes, the, the scriptures uh, protect you from, um, you know, that, that type of harm. You know, there's some protection that's offered, and, and it's offered in the form of keeping the commandments, understanding hmm. the commandments, and, and obeying the commandments. That's that's your protection. That's the hedge that you have around you. Um, you know, if, if, if you're doing what the scripture says, then you're looking for uh, – a wife, and there are certain things that you're going to look for. And uh, there's one scripture that comes to mind, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter five, verse twenty-two. And um, it, you know, the point is a little bit uh, further into the scripture, but let me just go ahead and start reading, and I get to the point. Uh, it reads, uh, "Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord." So, just in that first statement. That's going to be a big problem with uh, more than half the women in the United States because that is just contrary to what's been taught in the world when it says submit yourselves to your husbands because there's this whole thing about partnerships uh, that that mm-hmm. is being uh, um, the next verse five and twenty three. But a husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Okay, so now here's a lesson about how to be a husband. You know, you have to have the type of love for your wife that you're going to even give your own life for her. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't love her like that, then you're not fulfilling the role of a husband. So now if you're not prepared to do that for this woman, if you're not prepared to do that for her, because this is what it's telling you to do. Next verse, mm. Ephesians 5:26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourish it and cherish it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So now here is this man going out looking for a wife. So what is the scripture telling him about what he should be looking for? Well, in, in 5 and 31 it says, for this cause, I'm sorry, uh, in 5 and 32 it says, uh, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So what, he, what he's saying is that um, this woman and this man both are in Christ. So that is the basic fundamental criteria for finding a wife. First of all, she's got to be in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's funny because even when you look into the, the you know the scriptures as far as just the whole dating thing in general, where people are just we just have these so-called casual relationships, you know, as, as they would say, and mm-hmm. you know, it's like, hey, I like you, you look pretty good, hey, you seem pretty cool too. All right, we'll we'll mess around, we'll you know, basically you become casual sexual partners. That that's actually fornication according to the scriptures. So. And we're, not, we're not even dealing with that part of it. But just the whole thing of when we basically submit ourselves to the Heavenly Father and follow the example of Jesus Christ, that basically what it does is that puts us in the mind of, okay, I'm trying to structure myself after the image of Christ, which means that the person that I'm going to be dealing with as a wife, as a man, she's going to be trying to do the same thing for herself. And and this is you know, this is where it lies protection, you know, that, that you know, you're speaking about your side because now it's like, okay, I know that I you know, we're we're still carnal, so it's like, okay, I I want my woman to look a certain way, I want her to be a certain height, I want to have a certain shape, uh, you know, all the way down the line. I mean, a woman that's a rowdy, she wanna be a certain height and you know, you had won't have some, you know, nice arms and broad shoulders and uh broad wallet. <laughs> you know, and Granted, those things have their place, but when it comes down to the scriptures, <laughs> a lot of those things don't really matter. And speaking of finances, I actually have another clip that I want to play because, you know, with this one clip here, we might be dealing with, you know, a young lady who was kind of up and coming, you know, a younger woman that was not established, you know, trying to get some things in order and keeping a, a older established gentleman to more or less be her, uh, I don't want to say suitor, uh, a sponsor, if you will. So, Paul mm-hmm. Dickinson. A benefactor. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's a, that's a whole school word for it, kind of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for, that, for that name. Yeah. So, I, I, I think I you really want to call old school, you call it sugar daddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> But I was gonna say for all practical intents and purposes, you know, he—he's as far as he's concerned. It's like, listen, I'm a divorced man. I should be able to go out here and do what I want to. I make enough money to be able to afford it. But people don't understand. Just because you can afford it, don't make doesn't make it right in the sight of the heavenly father. So, I want to go to this next clip. And this next clip is actually kind of on the other end of the spectrum, as far as as far as the. Uh, the women are concerned because now we're going to deal with women who have their own, you know, money. They have their own stuff. They have to establish themselves. But now they're looking for an established man or a successful man. Now check this out. 
like lovers around. Wrong clip. Here we go. I look forward to the day. I look forward to being married. It's just not that easy. For starters, there are more black women than black men. 1.8 million more. So even if every black man in America married a black woman today, one out of 12 still wouldn't make it down the aisle. Let's take 100 black men. If you eliminate those without a high school diploma, those without a job, and the number of black men between the ages of 25 and 34 who are incarcerated, that leaves only about half of black men eligible to pop the question. There are still a lot of good men out there who are being overlooked. Harvey says black women don't have to settle, but may need to compromise. You a corporate exec? Does he have to be a corporate exec? You make $150,000 a year. He has to make 150 or above? That, that's your requirement? If your requirement sheet is ridiculous, you have to look at it. What we looked at were the large numbers of professional black women who groom themselves for success with BAs, MDs, and JDs. Seventy percent of them are still without the more elusive title, MRS. I don't have a certain criteria, like if you're not 6'5", and I used to, but then as I got older, I said, okay, well, maybe if you're 6'3", 6'2", 6'1", okay, maybe we could see eye to eye. I kind of have certain standards that I, I hold myself to, and I don't feel like I should have to settle on those for the sake of having somebody. Um, I'm willing to wait. I had a list of about 50 things that I would keep in my Bible. It's now down to about 10. Honesty, supportive, financially stable. Now, granted, I'm 31, so he needs to be at a certain stage. What do you consider a deal breaker? If there's not that initial chemistry, it's not. It's never going to work. I don't care if you have every quality on my list. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to you if I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> right. Wow. All right. So that clip was actually uh, something that aired on ABC News on uh, December 2009. I think we actually did a show where we played that clip uh, dealing with a different issue. But it was titled, Why Successful Black Women. Yes. About you. Are, are you 6'5"? Uh, uh, you are. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> just, just checking, man. I just wanted to see if you were qualified. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think I the height. Uh, I, I might need the height for one of them. She said that she dropped it down to about six, you know, at least six feet uh, even. So I, I might have some luck. There. Okay. Okay. Man, that's, but, um, that, man, that really eliminates a whole lot of people. And keep in mind, you know, um, that, that would, if, if every eligible black man would marry, then one out of every 12 black women still wouldn't have somebody to marry. So, I mean, you know, those lists like that, I think you, they, they should watch that. <laughs> Actually, I'm sorry, that, that number's a bit skewed because that's considering, that's assuming that the 54% that's left over or the 50% are all straight and want heterosexual relationships. Very good point. Mm. Very good point. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just keeping it real. So mm -hmm. the odds look even worse. But the thing is, the, the point of that, that clip was dealing with so-called successful women. They, you know, they have the money, they got the cars, they got the house, they got everything except for the title missing. You know, they got the Ph.D., the M.D., the Masters, you know, the backward degree. Every, I mean, everything that they can want, you know, as far as uh, the material stuff. But can't find a, a peer, in a sense. You know, one of the things that, you know, Steve Harvey, you made a guest appearance there. <laughs> that, you know, some of the things that were being brought out is that, okay, she makes X amount, $100,000 a year, 
he has to make that amount. She runs in different than this type of circles and deals with these type of people. He should be on that level. So basically, they're looking for a peer. But um, it's 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 crazy that you know I, I'm I'm kind of at a loss for words because I I want to say something and I'm trying to figure out the the, the best way to say it. The but, PC way to say it is that was that's what that's the problem for you because <laughs> yeah. I mean that. That clip is really utterly ridiculous, and it really shows you the state of our people, how we have been totally overcome in this world with material possessions, uh, physical features, and these things uh-huh. that are, are really not important and are really all vanity because eventually the money's going to go away, right? That's going to go away. It's going to get right um eventually you're gonna get older and some of those physical characteristics are gonna go away too because people do actually shrink you know when they get older so that six two guy he might be maybe six feet or you know a little under you know <laughs> as he gets older so that's also gonna go his way uh as well if i could let me read one uh scripture and it's in Proverbs, and it says, it's uh, Proverbs chapter um, 7, verse 1, and and I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and it's, it's very simple and to the point. It says, my son, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. Keep my commandments and live in my law as the apple of thine eye. So the apple of your eye is that thing that you desire most and above all out of everything and is with your it, it is your heart's desire and what you should be focused on. And the the Lord is telling us that that's supposed to be him and that's supposed to be his commandments. And when you focus on his commandments and on him, then all these other things are gonna be become considerably less important and you're not gonna focus on that. And when you do that, that's when the Lord is going to open the door and allow you to have that good success, you know, that we're uh, um, talking about and find that good mate that that you want. But you're not supposed to be looking after those things. You're supposed to be following the Most High, following Christ, keeping his commandments, and then the Most High is going to allow you, if that's his will, for all those other things to come later. But the sad thing is, with the example of the clip, you know, that just shows you how our direction and how our focus as a people is really off. And as a result, we get things like this with these women with these ridiculous lists about what they want in a man and stuff that they're probably never going to get if they continue down this uh, path. Mm. Now, that's funny that you should say that because just from listening to that clip, you know, it's like, I heard a few things, but nobody, I didn't see any criteria based on the scripture, unless I, did I miss something or, you one, know, because you were saying that. One lady said, I, I, I did hear honesty, you know, but that was the only kind of like spiritual, you know, anything close. Everything else was height, money, looks. You know, things like this. Mm. 
Um, you know, go ahead. I'm going to point out point out something. You know, they, they're talking about the uh, the type of men that they want. You know, six figures, six five, and who knows what other sixes they <laughs> talk about. <laughs> you know, the, if if you go to First uh, John chapter uh, chapter two verse fifteen, the scripture says, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world." If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay. So now, what does that mean? Because I, when, it, when I first read this scripture many, many years ago, I pondered it for a long time to, you know, to really understand what it meant because it says love not the world, neither the things in the world. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, I, I like cheeseburgers, so you're saying I can't have cheeseburgers? You know, what's the deal? You know, I enjoy great scenery. Being out in the, in the in the open in the wilderness and hiking and so forth, you mean that I shouldn't enjoy those things? That's not what it's referring to. What it's referring to are these things that people gravitate to in the world: the power, the money, the prestige, um, and in this case, looking for a man that has a ton of money. You're not you're not supposed mm-hmm. to gravitate to that and love that. Those money is is, is important. The scripture tells you that. It talks about money. You've got to have money, you know, uh, in, in order to, you know, buy the things that are needed for, for life. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having wealth and riches is not something that you seek after because the scripture also tells you that you first seek after the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. So now here's, here's this woman that wants to deal with a man. What type of woman is she? First of all, that attitude is a clue that she's not the type of woman that she needs to be in order to find a proper and suitable husband. All right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scripture talks about a virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, 31st chapter. That is the type of woman that she wants to be. There's another scripture that talks about uh, women and, and, and how they should be, and that's First uh, Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. Now, here's, here again, it's telling again, because we read earlier about uh, wives being in subjection to the husbands, obeying the husbands, and so forth. So we already know this is contrary. So now, here's, here are these women that have achieved so much. They have attorneys, and they, they have uh, own businesses. They uh uh, college graduates have several degrees and so forth, and, um, and now here's the scriptures telling them to be in, subject, in subjection to their husbands, to obey their husbands. There's nothing in the world that they love that tells them that. The world that they love tells them the exact opposite. It tells them that they don't have to answer to a man, that they have their own stuff, that, uh, you know, they deserve a man that has more than they have, and the scriptures don't say anything like that. Um, and they also go off to all these trappings of success to buying cars and the big houses and so forth, and, and, and then maybe join a nice clubs so they can work their bodies into shape and get their hair done a certain way. But if you go and read in First uh, Peter chapter 3, you find out a little bit about that. First uh, Peter chapter three verse two it says, "While they behold your chat conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning 
Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this matter, in, old, in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose orders you are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And let me point out one final scripture to, to tag on with that. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'll uh, rest my case for a moment. Uh, this is in Proverbs uh, 18 and 22. It reads, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and attaineth favor of the Lord. So now, the few eligible men they are that's really looking for a, a real wife, guess what they're looking for? They're looking for just what these scriptures just described. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for someone that has a ton of degrees, has tons of money, that has the, the best-looking hair that anybody can fix or make or whatever, that has the best-shaped body that anybody can manufacture in the gym. They're not looking for that. What they're looking for is what the, fundamentally what the scriptures describe here. Now, if, those, if some of those other things happen to come with it, then fine. That's the icing on top of the cake. But mm-hmm. you first got to have the things that the scripture is telling you to have in regard to a wife and in regard to a husband. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you said that, Josiah, because a, a lot of times when it comes to, you know, the view of so-called success when you're dealing with the scriptures, people usually deal on extremes, you know, because when I was growing up, one of my perceptions of, you know, someone that was so-called in the world in a sense was basically you just poor, you know, you walking around in some raggedy right. shoes or something, you know, because people will take it to that extreme, even to the point where you have to live in a, a communal where you sharing uh, a bathroom with five other people, hey, you know, we have all things in common, and, and people will read the scriptures with no understanding, or uh, the better way of saying without the understanding of Christ. And we, we find ourselves in some hurtful places. You know, now you have people over you, you know, taking advantage of you, taking all your money, and your parents say, oh, you messing with them Jim Jones, we're about to go drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, on the other spectrum, where you have these uh, the, the prophet preachers, you know, you got your Creflos and all these other guys, but basically, you know, the Lord is, is he's a generous God. You're supposed to have prosperity, and you're supposed to have money, and you're big by taking a flying with the eagle. I'm eating steak now. I mean, it, it, they just go to all of these extremes, you know, without the understanding. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But I actually want to read a few scriptures going into this whole thing about, you know, the, the perception that we're just to bring up some, uh, some edification here. I actually want to go to, um, I was holding quite a few of them here. Because you sorry, you admitted, here we go. I'm going back to the book of James. We started that in the beginning. You know, because. Yeah, well, you, you, oh, yeah, let, let, me just, okay. let me just mention one other thing, too, that, that, that just occurred yeah. to me. And, and that is, you know, even after. A, a woman or a man is looking for a wife or a woman is looking for a husband. Even after mm-hmm. they've done all the things that, that the scriptures require them to do here, 
there's nothing in the scriptures that promised anybody that they're going to get married, Ooh. that they're going to find that. You know, so, it, you know, for, for some people, they, they, it's just not meant. The most high God does not mean that for you. And if that is the case, then you've got to remain still and just stay steadfast in the faith. That's what you do. But uh, if, if you want to have your best chance of having that mate that is going to be suitable for you, where you're going to be uh, at peace and you're going to have a joy that's promised in the scriptures through those who have the Holy Spirit of God, then mm-hmm. you want to follow these commandments. You want to make sure you're doing those things. At least on your part, so that you, uh, in the good graces of the Heavenly Father in Christ, regardless of what everything else is going on. Right. You know. Yeah, and I, it's actually, I, okay, I got my scriptures now, because I had like about three or four hours just got, got my thumbs in the, in the book here. Um, I want to go to James, the fourth chapter. And you, you actually started off in the book of James. Because the thing is, is that, you know, we, as, you know, as people, our parents are teaching us to look for these certain characteristics, you know, in, in uh in our in our mate for the person that we so called aspire to marry. And, you know, we have our own idea of what we envision this person to be. But a lot of times, most often, more often than not, a lot of those things don't line up with the scriptures. I'm gonna read James chapter four and this is gonna bring some light. It says, From whence come from whence come wars and fighting the moment? Come they not hence? Even of your lust that war in your members, ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. So in the book of James, he's asking question. Why is there all this division and fighting among everybody? Why are people not happy? Why is there always, you know, uh, schisms and beef and cat fights and people, you know, all this, all this madness coming from? He says, even of the lust that wars remember, that lust that he's talking about is sin. The sin that dwells in our in our members, me and our bodies. The sin that basically goes on in the thoughts in our head until we can find a means to accomplish those things. Whether it be through money, whether it be through opportunity uh, that was uh, you know made available to us by money. You know, just various things, you know. So we have to really look at that. So he says that what? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So here it is, people out here, we're breaking the commandments to get the things that we want, to fulfill our desires because that's what it's going into. Well, I want this dude that's 6'5", he, he uh, has a whole bunch of money, guess what? I'm going to give it up on the third day to try and keep this man. Or I want this woman to be my wife. So... You know, I'm going to just spend all my money on her even though, you know, she's not going to give me the time of day if this is just a casual relationship. Or maybe I can woo her with my money. But that's why it says you can't obtain because, what, you're not asking the most high. And then when we, and I have to laugh because we're taught you got to claim it. So what we going to do, we're going to put it out there in the so-called universe, most high, heavenly father, Lord, I want a woman, uh, 36, 24, 37, uh, all them completely green eyes. Lord, please give me a husband that's six five with broad shoulders and good hair and all his teeth. Please, Lord, help me, Jesus. But what does that have to do with whether or not? Because nobody was mentioned. Okay, 
You find this man with the riches that looks like something that you want to be with, but he's beating you behind. You find this man that has these riches, but he cheats on He treats you like dirt. Okay? Has none of the qualifications that the scriptures mention, but we weren't looking for that. You see, so the thing is, is that when we look at defining success in terms of our of our relationships, we need to have our foundation in the scriptures as far as what we're supposed to be doing and where we're supposed to stand with the, the Lord's favor. And then all those other things fall into place. But let me finish reading on here in James. I'm still in James 4, and I'm going to read, I'm going to start back at verse 3. He says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Excuse me, that you may consume it upon your lust. So he's telling you, this is why we ask for these things, that we can consume it upon our own lust, so that we can fulfill our own desires. They ain't got nothing to do with the Lord. Nothing at all. I want a, a, a woman wants a man with good hands so her kids can have good hands. This dude wants his woman with, with that, that so-called beautiful and shaky, according to the world standards, so people can look at him and be jealous and say, oh, you the man. Let's read verse 4. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not, and this is going right to where you were reading, Josiah, that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So guess what? Right. We already are not aligning ourselves with the Heavenly Father in Christ by going after and pursuing these things uh, according to our own lusts and desires and not according to the criteria that the Lord set up. So why in the world do you think the most I will bless us with anything that's going to benefit us? That's Satan giving you what you want, and now you're hollering like a hit dog after the fact. Oh, you didn't. Oh, wasn't supposed to turn out like this. Mm-mm. You got to get it together, y'all. You know, uh, I want to be Proverbs 10 and 2, uh, unless you're getting ready to say something on your side. Yeah, you know, I, I want to uh, kind of tell off what you just established and also go back to a question you asked earlier uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, does the scripture provide any protection from uh, these evil things can come about as you, as a result of you choosing the wrong person or so forth? And, and, and yes, okay. it does. And, um, and here's a scripture that kind of highlights that one because one of the things to go, go on with these women is for, these ones happen not to have found anybody. But some of them actually do find men to marry. And mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons, more than half the marriages here in the United States end in divorce. Okay? Mm. So now divorce is a nasty situation. Here's a woman. She's got uh, plenty of, you know, she's well off. Uh, maybe not classified as rich, but definitely well off, definitely uh, upper middle class. And, uh, you know, it could be uh, she might put a financial status in jeopardy by marrying the wrong individual because when they go through a divorce, this man gets half. He didn't bring anything to it. She brought tons to the table. Now he's got half. So mm-hmm. what does the scripture offer to protect against that? So if you marry the person that you're supposed to marry in Christ, who sincerely worshiping God according to the scriptures, the scriptures provide this protection. This is uh, Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. This is Jesus talking. Mm-hmm. He said, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now the scripture teaches us not to commit adultery. That's in the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. 
So now, obviously, if you're dealing with someone who's sincerely obeying God, worshiping the Most High God, they are not committing adultery. They are not going to divorce you except it be for fornication. So now you have a certain amount of responsibility. You have to also be in Christ and not fornicate. And then at least that part of your marriage, you don't have to be concerned about that. And then it offers other things, too, because we read earlier how the man is supposed to love his wife as he loves his own flesh and also as Christ loves the church. So if he's loving his wife like that, then why are you afraid? There's no there's no point of fear of being involved with this man because this man mm-hmm. has you back front everything <laughs> in every single way you can possibly imagine. As much as yeah. as much as the Most High God gives him strength to do, he's doing that if he's that man that is sincerely in Christ. And I emphasize sincerely in Christ because there's a whole bunch of people out there out here that are faking it. You find them every mm-hmm. Sunday in church, tons of them. Wow. I didn't mean to go so far away from where you were going. Oh, no, no. Actually, that, that's still in mind because um, I'm going to go into that just a little bit more, and we're going to move on to dealing with uh, raising successful children because, you know, the two are very closely related. Um, I'm just going to touch just briefly, you know, because going into some of, the, some of the criteria because when a man is basically submitting himself to Christ, basically that means that what? Just touching on First Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Uh, I just read verse 3, First uh, Corinthians 7 and 3. It says, let the husband render unto the wife be benevolent, and likewise the wife also unto the husband. So, you know, the thing is, is that in the side, you hit the nail on the head, you know, at the beginning when you're going into Ephesians about how the husband basically loved his wife as he loved himself, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. See, right. those are the things that, we're supposed to be using as a guide or a so-called checklist, if you will, on how we're supposed to make ourselves, allow ourselves to be successful according to the scriptures in our relationship. And all those other things you know, fall in between. What's that? You know, something else that I think needs to be clarified, too, because we're talking about how the uh, husband loves his wife as Christ also loved the church. And mm-hmm. we're going to this whole thing about Christ giving up his life for the church. Okay, right. but we need to. People really need to understand what love is. And I mean, if you were to walk into a room of fifty people and ask them what love is, nobody could tell you. I almost guarantee. If there's if there's anybody in there, maybe it's one person that could tell you what love is. But see, the scriptures mm. tell you what love is, and a lot of people don't want right. to take it. But it's what it is. And in John, uh, the book of John. Chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, for some people, that might be a little bit vague. They may need a little bit more. All right? Mm. So to give them a little bit more, let's go to uh, Romans uh, chapter 13 and uh, verse 10. It reads, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, Love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, so it's going right back around to keeping the commandments because the commandments is the law, right? So love is right. the fulfilling of the law. So in, in 
order to demonstrate love, in order to love somebody, then obviously you've got to you've got to keep the law in regard to that person that you claim to love. Okay. And it works no ill no ill to his neighbor. Now some some people might actually be hung up on the word fulfilling. But if you look in the dictionary, you look up the word fulfill, you find mm-hmm. that it's got a few different meanings. But the meaning that I want to go to is the one that says to perform or to do as duty, obey or follow as commands. So now we understand that uh, love is the law. Love is keeping the commandments. That's what love is. So, so if if you want to love, if a woman wants to love her husband, then she obeys commandments. She doesn't commit fornication. She's not going to get a divorce. She's going to obey her husband, like the scripture says. And if a man is going to um, love his wife, then he's also going to obey the scriptures, where it tells him to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Christ gave up his life. He went to that degree. So, so how many times do you see a man giving up his life for his wife? It's not even required. It's not even required. So way short of what Christ did for the church, you can still love your wife. So, I mean, it, Christ has set an example that makes it easy for us because that is not even required of us in most every instance. I don't know of many instances. I've heard of many instances where you find that something's come up where this man needs to give up his wife, to give up his life, I'm sorry, for the sake of his wife. Mm. So you stop a way short of that. So what is it that, you know, you hear about guys slapping their wives around? That's not love. Nope. You hear about guys putting their that wives means- in situations, situations where they are incredible. I mean, Listen, even with the spirit of God in you, there are things that can cause you to suffer. And if you have an overbearing mm. husband, he's a lion in his house, Every you hate to see him come because you know he's going to raise fan. It's going to be mm-hmm. a horrible day in the house. If, you, if, if, if a woman is dealing with that kind of guy, guess what? Even with the spirit of Christ in her, she's going to suffer. That's not right. That's not love. That's far from. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Wow. Well, too much more. I can't. Say. We can't say too much more than that. Um, are you, you still with us, bro? Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So we're gonna move on to, the, to our next uh, segment here, dealing with you know successfully raising children. And what I have here is I have a clip from uh, it aired on uh, ABC. Uh, I was thinking about uh June of 2011, and it's uh, basically dealing with some so-called battle him with the tiger mom. And uh, long story short, this is dealing with so-called strict discipline in childbearing. So let's see what they had to say as far as making the successful child or raising successful children. Parenting has become a competition of styles, and there's a menagerie of mothers writing about how they are raising the perfect cub. Meet Amy Chua, better known as the Tiger Mom. When the Wall Street Journal showcased her book under the provocative headline, Chinese Mothers Are Superior, it sparked a ferocious national debate about permissiveness and parenting. The battle hymn of the Tiger Mom, she says, is about being strong, fierce, and uncompromising about high expectations. Here are some things my daughters Sophia and Louisa were never allowed to do, she wrote. Attend a sleepover. Have a play date. Watch TV or play computer games. 
Get any grade less than an A. Play any instrument other than the piano or violin. Why? Because on page eight she writes, drums can lead to drug use. She denied bathroom breaks during piano practice and called her daughter garbage when she acted up at a dinner party. One of the more controversial excerpts from the book was when you rejected your daughter's Mother's Day card. How cruel. That story has gotten out of control. I have the New York Post article here that your daughter wrote defending you. But let's face it, the card was feeble and I was busted. If I actually tried my best at something, you'd never throw it back in my face. Never. Never. The response has been fierce. In news reports, Amy Chua has set off a firestorm magazine covers and especially mommy blogs. <laughs> so some of the things that they went through that I actually want to focus on is, you know, the things as far as, you know, rating the children successfully, you know, not accepting anything less than an A, um, you know, dictating what instruments they're going to play, you know, it's only the piano and the violin, you know, drums lead to drugs. Um, you know, just, I guess really that's a crazy form of discipline. Um, wow, Pammy said that's like some form of emotional abuse. <laughs> so you, you both, uh, both of you brothers are, are fathers. So I, I want to get you out of the way in the clip. What, what are your thoughts? I know, uh, you've, you've been, uh, been kind of quiet lately. Well, what are your first thoughts on that, uh, clip? Well, the clip, I mean, it, again, it goes back to people being overwhelmed with the things of this world. And those things being their focus, those things being being what is the apple of their eye, you know. Um, you know, the whole thing about the drums and the piano, violin, that's like a real class type of thing. Uh, uh-huh. of the, the things about, you know, the children, you know, nothing um, except the A is good enough. You know, me and, my, me and my wife have had extensive conversations about this particular thing, about the importance of school and um, and education and how mm-hmm. and what's the best way for you to approach that with your children. Me being a, an educator um, and dealing with kids in the school system, um, I have a, at least I think, I have a very unique perspective on it and that unique perspective has been tailored by the scriptures and knowing that the most important thing is that our children are honorable people according to the commandments that they understand Christ that they understand what it means to be a good person and that's supposed to be valued above all we get in situations where we our children to be musicians, to be athletes, to be smart. Um, but smart how? Smart according to the commandments? No. Smart according to this world. Getting A's in these classes that don't teach you how to be a good person, that don't teach you how to deal right with your brother, that don't teach you how to be a good uh, wife or, or, or husband or person, you know, Chemistry is not going to help you make it into the Most High's kingdom. Neither is English. Neither is math. These things have their place, and in, 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 you know, and they are important to a certain degree. But for people to push their kids so hard 
you know, mm-hmm. in order to be successful in academia when they lack a moral compass, they have a hard time discerning good and evil, you know, these things are what's really important, you know, making it to the most high kingdom, not if I'm going to take honors this or honors that or, or, you know, AP this or getting into a good college this, because those things build up this world, okay? It doesn't build up that spiritual uh, uh, finance that we need, right? And there's a scripture that tells you about laying up uh, treasure upon earth. Where, where is that? At? I think it's in the notes, but where is that scripture at? Right. Give me one second, and I'll find it for you. Because, uh, let me see. Uh, I just have my hands on it in a second. I really should know. We pull out so much. really should know. What I, here it is. I got it right here. It's okay. um, it's uh, Ecclesiasticus in the Apocrypha, and the Apocrypha oh, okay. again is a part of the original King James sixteen eleven Bible, and in chapter twenty eight verse eleven it says, "Lay up thy treasure according to the commandments of the Most High, and it shall bring thee more profit than gold." So there's another one that talks about not laying up treasure, and I believe that, that that's in the Gospels where, you know, moth and, and dust and dust dust corrupt. corrupt. But right. that's what we do as parents when we push our children toward these meaningless, uh, carnal pursuits, when we put all of this pressure on them to be successful in academia, to be successful in athletics or music or all these different pastimes. You know, we're we're laying up treasure on earth, you know, instead of laying up treasure in the Most High's kingdom, which is seeking the commandments, learning how to become better people, and things like that. So that's a huge problem. And even with mm-hmm. it can become a trap, you know, for for people that know better if we're not careful, you know. So. Again, like I said in the beginning, you know, me and my wife have this conversation a lot to make sure that we're on the same page with it and we understand what's important and kind of how we want to steer and uh, 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 guide our kids, you know. Because kids are going to have hobbies, they're, you know, they're going to do things that they like, and that's okay and that's fine. You know, they're going to get not so good grades in school sometimes, and that's okay. If they're putting their best effort forth, you know, then it's okay. But sometimes we have children that kind of lose focus and they're doing things that are deviant-type behavior, and that's why they grade suffer. So you have to really examine the uh, situation. But in, in particular, going back uh, to that clip, man, it's, it's a real hurtful thing for me to hear because I know – when you push kids like that, man, it, it really destroys them. It has the potential to be very destructive. Uh, and going back to that scripture, we have to lay up that treasure according to the Most High's commandments. Yeah, actually, I think uh, Pammy put it in the uh, chat room. That's Matthew uh, six nineteen, where it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. So, you know. Um, you're fine. Are you trying to say something? Yeah, uh, sure was. Um, you know, this this whole thing about child rearing. I mean, you, you see a couple of different extremes, and one extreme mm-hmm. is 
not enough involvement from the parents. And now you got this example where that's way too much. They're over the top with involvement. Um, and, and see, the thing is, you know, apparently somebody is trying to write a book or give some instruction and, 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 and say, this works. Do this. Make them get A's. Make them play these type of instruments and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what, what folks don't seem to understand and realize is just like you can physically look at someone and see their physical uh, ability to some degree, you can determine what they're physically capable of doing because you, you can see that, you know, if, you, if you're five feet and you weigh about 250 pounds, chances are pretty good that you're not going to run 110 seconds. Right. Okay? Uh, but if you if, if you're six two and you, you're slim and you're fit and muscular, then you might have a chance at it. So maybe you might want to push that child to, mm-hmm. to actually achieve that if if they have the natural talent for running. All right. So now we're looking at somebody uh, achieving AIDS in school and learning different musical instruments. The same way you can see those physical characteristics. They're also intangible characteristics, you know, intellect and so forth. Not everyone has the same intellect. Not Mm. everyone has the same talents. So here's a child, one child, who if if they don't make A's, it's a doggone shame because they are super smart. They precocious from day one. They if if they don't make an A, it's because they're slacking. Now, if mm-hmm. you are writing this book and giving these instructions because it worked for that child, then you're dead wrong. Because there's another child over here that from day one, they were struggling just to talk. So you're going to mm-hmm. expect them to make an A? You're going to expect them to play all these various instruments and so forth? That's wrong. That's unfair. You can't just make it fit every single child. You know, uh, the scriptures give instructions on raising children. And it doesn't give these finance specifics for good reason because finance specifics don't fit everybody. Now, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, strange that you would say that because um, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, as a parent, you don't, um, you don't, you know, you wouldn't realize that you're basically destroying your child doing harm to them by not uh, more or less putting their foundation in the scriptures because parents what they want the they want the children to have things that they didn't have. They want the children to have a better life than they had. That's why they get them involved in extracurricular activities or expose them to different things and travel and stuff like that. Uh and even to some degree, you know, try to give them some degree of a moral compass as far as, you know, well treat them you treat people the way you want to be treated. But when we don't use the scriptures as the foundation, then we're going to find it basically you just get extreme like this. Um, exactly. I actually have another clip that I want to play going into uh, parenting, but I'm going to go to a break real quick. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to deal with that because you know, this thing as far as raising successful children, I mean, that, that can be a touchy topic for a lot of people, you know. And one of the questions I want you guys to think about that I'm going to ask, you know, I want you to answer when we come back is what are some of the differences between your perception on how you were raised versus how the Bible is showing us how we're supposed to be raised? So I want you all to think about that as we go to this break, and we'll get to that when we come back. Y'all hold tight. 
The Body of Christ Church Radio Network broadcasts seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the BOCC. Listen to our archive broadcasts or check us out while we are live on the air. Come and visit us in the virtual living room at 2 o'clock p.m. on Sundays where we examine current topics according to the scriptures. Are you looking for the truth? Can you handle the truth? Find out on Mondays at 8 o'clock p.m. It doesn't matter what church you attend or philosophy you believe, take the challenge to see Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. The world is engrossed in darkness, but it shall be destroyed by the light. Check out From Darkness to Light at 7 o'clock p.m. on Wednesdays where all manner of witchcraft, occult practices, and Satanism is exposed for what it is. Before the light comes, it's time to awake on Thursday at 8 o'clock p.m. If you are seeking salvation, listen to Repentance is the Key, Fridays at 7 o'clock p.m. And after you've listened to all of these shows, find out how we will become kings and priests Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock a.m. All shows are on Eastern Standard Time. Remember to check out The Body of Christ Church seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the B-O-C-C. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash T-H-E-B-O-C-C. Shalom.
how to raise a house full of successful children. As soon as I find my clip. <laughs> Here we go. I just didn't expect it to be like this. Right. I knew that we needed to come to grips with our children. I knew that parents needed to take a hard line and bring their kids back into some kind of um, semblance of order. Right. And I also believe wholeheartedly that teaching begins at home. Yes. And so, you know, I think that's what the book represents, that we as parents have to be parents. For these ten rules, is there one that stands out above the rest, or do they all equal? Can you not pull one out, or is there one that really speaks? I always pull the first one out. I'm your mama, not your friend. Because first and foremost, I'm the parent. I cannot be your friend and then expect you to have that same reverence and respect for me. And I can't um, be your friend and be the disciplinarian that I need to be. So I'm not friends with children. We have kids standing on the corner with their pants around their ankles. We have children that walk into a classroom and think nothing of uh, verbally abusing a teacher. Mm. We didn't have that. And this is because dis discipline has uh, just gone. left the household. It's just left. Oh. It has just left. You have young children telling a parent, if you hit me, I'll call 911. Mm. I mean, who decided that we should let the government tell us how to raise our children and how not to discipline our children. And we can see the results of it. Right. It's so plain. Good for you, Rose. That's probably a tough position to it's have. It's a tough one, but it's a good one. Right. It's really a good one. And, you know, I watch with my children. Like, I've done things that they thought were very harsh. Oh, but now as they grow older, one by one, they come back and say, Mommy, remember when you did this? I thank you. Right. Yeah. Right. That is beautiful. So you heard the clip from Mom Rock. And, now, and see, this is the reason why I posed this question and gave you the time to think about it. Because a lot of the things that she spoke of here, you know, I myself came up, you know, in, in that fashion. As far as, you know, your parents pretty much had the authority. There wasn't any back talking. You were going to conduct yourself a certain way. You were going to learn to speak, you know, a certain way and become a productive member of society. So having grown up that way, and I'm, um, I'm pretty sure that you both had very similar experiences, you know, how does our perception of how we were raised, which is very similar, you know, so just speaking for myself, you know, what we just heard, how has our perception of those things change now that we have the understanding of, of Jesus Christ and what the scripture said. Uh, yes, I, I'll let you go first. Brother, uh, you know, with the scriptures, perceptions change quite a bit. Um, but, you know, before I go into, you know, exactly what's changed, let me just establish that, um, you know, I, I grew up in uh, the south, in South Georgia, small town, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Many of the people that uh, were in my family, my grandfather, grandparents, aunts, and so forth, they attended church on a regular basis. My granddad was a deacon and all. And so one thing that my parents instilled in me was uh, from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be longer mm -hmm. than the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, did they read that scripture to me? No. But they made certain that I obeyed them and that I respected them and I respected everyone who was in authority. Okay? 
Now, mm-hmm. to go a step further, uh, one of the things that you did in South Georgia at that time is at at meals. You know, there was a, someone would say a grace, and then all the children had a Bible verse that they were to recite, and uh, you, you you were taught your Bible verse. It was one Bible verse, and it was yours for life. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. this what mine was. Mine was, thou should not commit adultery. Mm. Right? Now, did I know what that means? Absolutely not. I had no idea. I was clueless. So from the time that I can remember, four or five years old, every single meal that we had together as a family, I would recite, thou should not commit adultery. And mm. what was my brother's? Um, I think his may have been, thou should not covet. Okay, so we recited okay. those Bible verses not understanding. No one took the time to explain to us what those meant. Now, so you're talking about how perceptions change. So that's how things were. So in how things now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Well, let's mm-hmm. pick it up a little higher than that. Let's, let's pick it up at 6 and 6. It reads, okay. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now, if that was being done, how is it that I go from four or five years old all the way to 13, 14 years old and don't understand these Bible verses that I repeat virtually every time I have a meal with the family? I mean, my folks did some things that were right, incredibly right, because, you know, there are a whole bunch of people that didn't gain the benefit from obey your parents and obey authority. They did a number Mm -hmm. of things right. They told me not to steal, okay? But this thing about committing adultery, the whole thing about not coveting, those things are dreadfully important. There's, In fact, there's nothing in the Scriptures that's not dreadfully important. You need to have it all. And children need to understand this before they become teenagers. When they become teenagers, that's pretty much too late because they've already they've already been shaped to the largest degree imaginable, and it's very very difficult at that point to make any changes in them. So it's, mm-hmm. it's important that these things are instilled at a very very young age. The scripture goes further and says in Proverbs 22 and verse six, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart." A child. Someone who is six months old, that's a child, that's a baby, it's still a child, someone who's three years old. Train them the way they should go. When they're old, not 50, but 15, he will not depart mm-hmm. from it. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, you know, just a little insight into my perception of the differences. Yeah, and my, my, my scripture would have been Jesus well. Cause you know when you were young, you were just trying to find the, the shortest one to memorize just to get just to get the job done, and and that that says a lot because that goes into just the mindset of a child where it's like okay, as parents it's like listen, I understand the the fear and the dread of the most high, but you don't, and it's my job to put the fear of God in you so that as you grow and become an adult that you begin to understand it for yourself, right? You know, um. <laughs> Uh, I, before I go to anything else, I guess, how do you weigh in on that question? 
Well, um, to kind of piggyback on what Josiah was saying, I I uh, grew up. I was born in um, '82. Um, to my at the time when I was born, my my uh, parents were married, but that that didn't last long. They had a short marriage, so for the most part, I was raised just by my mother, uh, single parent household. Uh, me and my brother um, in the south as well, but. And um, Southern Louisiana, which is a little different, you know, um, extremely Catholic city uh, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. but uh, didn't grow up Catholic. My mom kind of rejected those uh, ideals, um, mm-hmm. didn't, wasn't really raised with the Bible at all. Um, my grandmother kind of exposed me to church a little bit, like Baptist church here and there, but for the majority of growing up in my childhood, I was just raised by my mom, and she pretty much did the best based on what she knew. She was extremely right. uh, strict. Um, it was her way at a highway. What she said was law, and that's what we had to do. Um, I remember what. Well, let me let me. I'll share a quick story. I remember uh, as a kid growing up. My mom, she, like, she used to work a lot. Sometimes she had two jobs and things like that to make ends meet. And um, it was some t- like a day or two after uh, Christmas, you know, we got all this stuff, um, stuff that we didn't need, you know, Sega Genesis, Nintendo, I mean, all this stuff, toys, all kind of stuff, right? So this particular day, me and my, my mom told me and my brother to clean up the kitchen or something. Man, and we didn't do it. She got, when she came home from work that day and she saw that we didn't clean that kitchen, man, she packed up all the Christmas stuff and took it back to the store that day. <laughs> wow. That just shows Dang. you, like, how, how serious she was about you're going to do what, you know, what I say. But I, on, the, on the same mm-hmm. note, she had this thing about, you know, you do as I say but not as I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. So, meaning... You know, there were certain things that she did, certain things that she said, and the example that she set when she pointed out, I, you know, I'm your mother, I could do this, but you can't do this. So now right. me being a man, having the understanding of um, the commandments, there's certain things that I gleaned from my mother um, as a child and now as an adult that I could pull from, but, uh, but the majority of the way I deal with my family and the way I deal with my with my children comes directly from the Most High's commandments, and that's and that is the 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 guidebook and the way that we're supposed to deal, even with uh with a uh, Mama Rock. You know, she has these little jewels of wisdom and things like that that can be applied to how you deal with your children. But ultimately, you have to deal with those things and filter it through the commandments and uh, through Christ. And when we do that, we become the perfect parent and the perfect father and the and the perfect mother. Hmm. Uh, about can, I, can I refer to something that they they mentioned in the clip? Yeah, go ahead. Um, they they mentioned that Mama Rock was taking a tough position. And people often, you know, refer to when people are doing things the right way, they call it tough love. They, they, they make it appear that this is, this is you're being hard on them. You know, 
Let me tell you what hard is. Hard is not teaching your child the scriptures and seeing them carted off the jail. Now, which is tougher, to give them a spanking when they're three years old or when they're 23 years old, see them go to jail for 10 years? Mm. What's, what's hard? What's hard about giving a child a spanking to spare him from jail? What's hard about giving a child a spanking to spare him from hell? It's not hard. This is love. This is love in its sincerest, purest form. It's following the scriptures. And the scriptures is telling you to do this. It's telling you to do this. It's imploring you to do this. But people don't mm-hmm. want to do it, and now they're, they're tagging it as tough. Now, that wasn't Mama Rock's words. It was the, the, the guy who was hosting. That was his words. It sounds, you know, you're taking a tough position. You know, she's not taking a tough position. She's taking mm-hmm. a position of love. That's the position she's taking. That's the position the scriptures requires to take. It's the position of love with our children. And people need to understand what love is. And that is love is keeping the commandments. Okay. You know what? On that note, I actually have another clip that uh, that she was that goes into her dealing with uh, discipline. Okay, uh, I want you to listen very closely to this clip because I, I got a few things that I want to say, but I want to get you on your uh, y'all's reaction first. Here you go. And so it's the last couple of words of these last two sentences. One of your six sons, Chris, wraps up the forward by saying, "Quote: As of the writing of the forward, none of Rose's children has a criminal record." or has had any baby mamas, how did Rose and my father pull off this miracle with a little love, a lot of understanding, and a good belt, a good belt. And those are big things. Did you, did the Rose uh, Rock family, did the Rock family believe in the rod of correction? Oh, yeah. There was a belt at the back door. And once upon a time, when there was a belt at the back door of every house in America, we did not have juvenile delinquents. We did not have um, facilities in every state for young people. If your child did something in South Carolina, they were sent to the Midwest because that was the only place you could find a juvenile facility. Now, every state in the United States of America has an overcrowded juvenile facility. All right. Now, she said in the back of the, in the, back of the house there was a belt. And all of us know, sitting on his only show, what that belt was for. You know, you got out of the line, and you got the last. And before I go to you, brothers, I want to read a scripture just real quick. Okay, this is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what I want to focus on is verse 4, because it starts out talking about the children honoring the parents, but then it gives specific instructions to the father, because he's that spiritual head of the household. And it says, provoke not your children to wrath. And it's like, well, what do you mean provoke not your children to wrath? You mean don't do stuff that's going to upset them? No. We provoke our children to wrath by not teaching the commandment and then feeling the wrath of the heavenly father. We provoke our children to wrath by not teaching them Maybe a perfect example that you brought your father. What does it mean to commit adultery? What does it mean to fornicate? Why shouldn't right. I do it? Because I, you know, mommy and daddy said not to. You know, but it says that what? But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
because the nurture, it, um, you know, I learned on a previous show you were going into some of those things as far as going into the nurture and the admonition of the Lord because the thing about it is that the nurture is going into the teaching and the explaining and the dealing with our kids. And also the admonition going into understanding that there are repercussions for bad decisions. And there are also repercussions for disobedience. See, there's a difference between making a bad decision and being just straight up rebellious. There's a difference between the two. Um, you know, because one of the things that I, I want, I was really looking at and kind of wanted to focus on is like, okay, that belt is there. So, and just in the beginning where, and I forgot to mention that this is actually uh, uh, the famous comedian Chris Rock's brother. She uh, said that basically, you know, in the forward, her son wrote that as of this writing, and this book was written, I think, in uh, 2009, <laughs> that none of the, none of the, um, her children have baby mamas or criminal records. And just, just kind of went on down the line. But we really have to understand something that she, and I know you actually hit on it when you were saying, like, you know, the whole thing of our parents say, do as I say and not as I do. Because, yeah, we can sit back and say that we don't have any babies or illegitimate children out there, but is that because we're not a fornicator or is that because we were so-called clever enough to cover our steps and not make a so-called mistake? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? You know, we're we clever. We can say that we don't have a criminal record, but is that because we're thieves and steal and, and, and uh, you know, like to steal from people? And uh, what's the other word I'm looking for? Extortions? And we just haven't gotten caught yet? Or we know how to put somebody else in harm's way? See, these are the things that we really need to look at because the world will teach you, hey, I can say these things. Why? Because I always wear a condom. She's always on the field. Or she had an abortion. I ain't got no kids out there. Uh, listen, I know how to scam the system, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm balling. I ain't got no criminal records. See, I don't know how I, I know how to not get caught. So we really have to look at the foundation of why people are able to say those things. Is because that we're growing in the fruits of the spirit according to the scriptures or because you know, we're finding, we're so-called applying the, the evil of this world or the, so, the so-called wisdom of the world and, uh, you know, practicing evil. But um, nah, I'm, I'm sorry, I just took the whole thing over. But um, you're fine. Did you want to weigh in on that uh, that second clip there? Um, you know, I, I really don't know what to say to that because, I mean, she she mentioned the love. She mentioned the understanding. She also mentioned the chastisement. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's in, that's in keeping the scriptures. I mean, now the love she's talking about, I, I don't know if that she meant, you know. Uh, uh, doing things according to the commandments or not, but uh, obviously there's one thing that she did not omit, which many people err in omitting, and that is the the physical discipline, physically disciplining children. You know, and it's mm. not it's not with you of being abusive and you, you leave them scarred for life somehow. You know, but you giving them enough, especially the, the younger they are, the less you got to do to get their attention. And then make make them understand that you mean business and that they gotta obey. So if they if they are a year and a half, two years old, and you give them a couple little taps, they think that war was ending. You hadn't heard them. The only thing, I mean, if you raise their voice, at, if you raise your voice at them at that age, it hurts their feelings because they want you to be just just exceptionally sweet to them all the time, no matter what they do. That's the nature of a child. Okay, but the older they get, the more they become aware of things, 
the, the stronger the chastisement has to be in order to actually gain the attention and bring about the correction. Because the intention is the whole intention. If you're doing it for any other reason than to correct the child's ways, then you're wrong. It's all about correction, bringing them in line, making sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. And fundamentally, the thing they're supposed to do is obey you the same way you obey in God. Mm. And actually, I got a couple. Of, now, yeah, you can, uh, you know, you can jump in anytime you want to. Um, I was actually, uh, you know, you had something uh, you wanted to bring up? No, no, no. Uh, go ahead. I'm, I'm trying to. Well, I do. Well, no, brother. It's, I'm good for right now. Go ahead. Okay. And actually, it was. Uh, I was going to go into Hebrews 12 just to kind of go into some things where it says, and I'm going to start at, um, I'm just going to go straight to the point. It says, for the dealing with, uh, I'm starting, we started at uh, 9. Here we go. Hebrews 12, 9. It says, furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So, you know, on the clip we heard about the correction you know, that, that was in the household as far as in the form of the belt or, you know, for some people it may have been, you know, the chastisement or listen, you know, your parents verbally, you know, discipline you and things of that nature. So the question is, listen, we gave our earthly fathers reverence. Shouldn't we give the heavenly father, isn't he worthy of at least that? Let me read on. He says that in verse 11, it says, Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So it's going to show you that the chastening that when it comes to the scriptures, the chastening of the heavenly father, that he tells us I have to deal with our children, and even the chastening that he gives us, it says afterwards it yieldeth, meaning that we have to go through those things in order to be taught. And he says that what? Afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And I want to focus on that word exercise because that's showing you that that's a continual practice. That's a constant thing. It's not a one-time thing. And, oh, well, I, well, well, you did it the last time they didn't do nothing, so I guess I can keep getting away with it. No. There's a consistency there. And it says that afterwards, they use the righteousness. And it's just like a lot of things as children, we didn't understand why our parents disciplined us on certain things. But as we got older, <laughs> I, had to, I had to do this. I had to tell my parents, thank you. Because it wasn't until I got older that I understood some of the things that they were teaching me were not only right, but now that I had the understanding of the scriptures, that that made it weigh twice as more. So let me read on. And he says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. So the thing was is that what you know what I wanted to uh, really focus on is that, you know, we had uh Hold on one second. I think I lost my place here. Actually, I skipped the verse. I really meant to read uh, <laughs> verse 10. The, the movie verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Now, excuse me a second. It says, dealing with our uh, fathers and our parents. It says, for they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our prophets that we might be partakers of his holiness. So still dealing with our parents, it says they chastened us after, after their pleasure, Meaning that, listen, you were, we were given chores in the house to do, okay? Listen, 
I want this house clean when I get back. Listen, this room better be straight. Clean up your room. Put your socks over there. Put your shoes up. And if we didn't do it, we suffered the consequences. Okay, those are some of the things that were required of us for us to earn our faith there in the sense. But he feels that what? Dealing with the Heavenly Father that the most times he does, he chastens us for our profit, that we may be partakers of the kingdom. And and this is what people don't understand. And, you know, as adults, you don't understand that when it pertains to the Heavenly Father. But guess what? Children don't understand that either when it pertains to parents, which is why we have to bring in that nurture and admonition of the Lord. So there's a couple more scriptures I could have gone through, but um, I'm actually going to hold off on those. Because I, I have one more clip that I wanted to play uh, before we wrap this up. Before you play that clip. Oh, go ahead. Before you play that clip, that's one, one scripture that uh, I, I would like to bring out. And mm-hmm. this this scripture has to deal with um, uh, parents, you know, when parents are absent, you know, because we're talking about what parents should do, you know, how they should right. teach the children the scriptures and how they should, you know, they should not abstain from uh, using a physical discipline. Uh, but, you know, this scripture is Proverbs 29 and 15. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child mm. left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Okay, so we, we talked about the rod. And we talked about, you know, actually using uh, physical discipline, you know, taking the bank, mm-hmm. belt, giving a child a spanking, a whipping, whatever, okay? But it says yeah. the rod in reproof. So, in other words, don't just, you know, here's a child does something wrong, you take out the belt, you give him a spanking, but the child's kind of clueless as to what's going on. It's like, okay, I must have done something wrong. No, mm-hmm. and reproof. That reproof, you gotta, you got to tell them, let them know, you got to correct them. The rod gets their attention, let them know how serious this is, let them understand that there are consequences for their actions. But the reproof, gives them that understanding because it says, and reproof give wisdom. So together, that child is going to understand this is serious. I've got to correct myself. I've got to discipline myself to go the right way because if I don't do it, then they're, they're my parents that's going to make sure that I do it. I'm going to suffer consequences. It goes on to say, for the child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. We see that mm. all the time, all the time, especially these days where you have so many uh, books that are written, so many psychologists that say that you shouldn't spank your child, you should give them timeouts and so forth. Well, you see mm-hmm. what the timeout generation has gotten us. I mean, mm. crime is off the chain. You know, you've got this guy who is a professional football player. He's got a $12 million contract, uh, I think it was $12 million, uh, Hernandez uh, from the New England yeah. Patriots. Okay, right. I don't know how he was raised, but my goodness, man, this, they, they're saying this guy may have killed three people. Why in the world do you want to go out and kill three people and you got a 12 and jeopardize a $12 million contract? What in the world are you thinking about? It actually, people? brother, it was $40 million. $40 God, million. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, what are you thinking about? You know, so now I don't know if – if he was left to his own devices, but somewhere along the line, he did not get told, you don't go out killing people. 
Whose responsibility is that? Is it the state's responsibility? Is it the responsibility of the school system, the government? No, it's the parents' responsibility. And you know what you're saying? Even if he was told, because we all understand that what the scripture says when it you know goes into the whole thing of um, training the child up in the way that they should go when they're old, they should not depart from it. But we also know, understand the reality that as those children grow up into adults, they also have the ability to choose whether or not to follow the commandments or not. That's very true. That's very true because you, you, can't, you can't blame it on the parents. You just can't say, well, I was raised wrong, so I'm excused. Hmm. You're right. No. I mean, because there, there, there are actually some people that were raised in less than desirable conditions, you know, and, you know, some have come up through the juvenile system, they have gone through the criminal justice system, whatever, and they their lives together as a so-called citizen, you know, as being a productive citizen, but also they repent and they start applying Christ in their lives. So, you know, we have to really, <laughs> that, 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 that's horrible, man. I, I mean, it, it's just going to show you, man, that we don't, we don't have control of our, the less that are in us. Okay. Because basically, before he killed anybody, he had to have this, this thought in his head before it even came to, uh, came to fruition. About how it says in James about how to, got a mess. Um, oh, what I'm messing the thing up. But uh, I, I'll find the scripture in a little bit. But basically, it's it, it basically conceived of the thought, and eventually manifests itself right. as sin, and some of the bring it forth death, meaning now you have to suffer the judgment. Okay, so again, you don't understand the, the, the consequences of the decisions that we make. You think that we can get away? So, uh, you want to say something else? Yeah, you, you know, I, I mentioned Hernandez, which may not be the best example to really bring some light to the scripture, but we, we are mm-hmm. all aware of gang activity, and we are aware that typically right. these gangs prey upon children that are left to themselves, children whose parents are not involved in their lives. They don't know what's going on with them. The child's being left to themselves, so they go off and do whatever they want to. So now the game becomes gang becomes appealing. So now this 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 kid, 13, 14, 15 years old, goes out and kills somebody. Now that's a shame to the mother. I think that's a very yeah. good example of how it's a shame, you know. And that's not the only example. There are many other ways that it, that it happens. A child left to himself becomes involved in homosexuality. To yeah. many mothers, that's a shame. But increasingly, it's not. It's not. Uh, a shame anymore, increasingly. No, it is not. So let me move on to this last clip. And this is actually, uh, you know, a, a clip that was done by, um, oh, Lord, I just had it. Let me play the clip first, and I'll get you the information on it. Here it is. How do I define a successful life? It all depends on what you see as a failure. Success to me is not in terms of material goods or how much money I make. Oh, I didn't define success by being happy. I thought this was a simple question. One simple question you said. (laughs) What is happy? Feeling good. If you measure happiness by uh, financially, we, we're not happy. But if you measure it by all the things we've done in our life, then we are. 
striving leads to certain types of unhappiness and striving for wealth or striving for things you don't have or striving for more than what you do have. Success is wanting what you have. Being satisfied with what you have and, um, and happy each day, one day at a time. But I think what really makes somebody happy is being content with where their state. I'm surprised. That was a good answer. <laughs> Finding a soulmate for me would make me happy. It has nothing to do with financial or money or fame or success. You have a loving wife, a family. I would actually define success with this person and her sister being productive people. Kids with grandkids, no worries in life from being more spiritually minded. I haven't gotten there yet, but when I, I can see it, I know that it's there. When I get it, I'll know. Uh, I measure success in your life uh, by how uh, the experiences you had and the people you helped. That feeling that you get when you wake up one morning, like everything is in order. If you feel good about yourself and you're doing right by other people, that's a successful one. I would say if you have no regrets at the end of it, you have, there's nothing left you haven't done. I felt like I did better than I did yesterday. That's when I know that I've reached my goals and accomplished my mission in life, you know. When you get to the end of your life, if you can look back and, and be proud of yourself for what you've done and happy with the way you lived it, um, then I think you're successful. That's it. That's it. Have a good day. That clip was uh, came from a website called uh, FamilyLife.com, and actually a nonprofit company um, that came out January of uh, 2013 of this year. And uh, one of the things that they focus on is basically uh, a theme of a call to courageous manhood, and returning basically returning back to so-called Christian values and morals, loosely speaking. And uh, you know, they would do that segment was dealing with people's uh, understanding was like the question presented was. Uh, how do you define success? And so we heard a, a laundry list of things, you know, what is success? You know, one of the, one of the first guys, he said, depends on what your definition of failure is. Okay. <laughs> Another person says, being happy. And it's like, okay, well, what is happy? You know, well, being satisfied or content with what you, with what you have. Uh, somebody said, finding a soulmate. Uh, one man mentioned having productive children. You know, having no regrets in life. Uh, feeling good about yourself and helping others. So all of these things, you know, after hearing all of those things, it's like, okay, everyone says there's something about being successful in life, but I didn't hear anybody mention any scriptures. Or not even the scriptures are saying nothing mentioned about the heavenly father in Christ. Listen, what do you be? How do you start God being really success? Listen, serving the heavenly father and following the example of Christ. Okay. Everything else well, no falls in the place after that. Go ahead, your son. Okay, we already read a scripture that says uh, the whole world lies in wickedness, right? Right. And you see, and you know, out of all these people that talk about success, 
not one person mentioned the heaven and father in, uh, in, in Christ. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a reason why that they did not mention the heaven and father in Christ. And uh, to kind of explain that reason, let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 4. And I guess I'm just going to just pick it up at verse 1. Okay. All right. Then, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made 